Uh, I have a personal request uh, just to, uh, if I may, uh, ask for prayer for my nephew. You know, COVID, uh, we're all frustrated and, well, I, I should say, I'm frustrated by COVID and all it's done to us and the response and the non-response and everything else. But it's still very real. And there's folks that have very acute uh, conditions that require special care. My nephew, saying our nephew, Tom, is one of those. He's in his early 30s and um, when he, almost mid-30s, when he was uh, just under four years old, he had a double lung transplant. And um, he was the 19th pediatric double lung transplant and he's still with us, which is making him one of the, if not the longest living double lung transplant. <laughs> uh, he's a remarkable young man and he has COVID and uh, He's been getting um, treatment for it this week. And I just want you to pray for Tom when you remember him and share that burden with this, my, uh, my Boise church family, and to ask that you remember him when you do. Um, I'll pray now for this passage. It's one of my favorites in the whole story of David. It teaches us so much about our God and our Savior. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I will begin as I have him on my heart, asking you to bless Tom and his, his family, Debbie and Joe and, and, and Judd and Emily. Strengthen him. We're so thankful for him. Show him mercy and heal him. Lord God, this passage is really about you offering healing and comfort. And so we're asking you to show us who you are, Lord God, what we must do and how we can have the fullest submission and joy and healing in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to the servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. The Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent him by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Amen. Well, here's what I want you to have from this message. I, I want us all to learn this, if for the very first time or um, the next time uh, we've learned it before. Christ's comforts come to us through his many helps, but only his crown can heal us. Christ comforts us through his many helps, but only his crown can heal us. 
Let's talk about how he comforts and offers healing to the wayward. To do that, we need to understand that God makes and we can say takes kings. Last Sunday, we saw that the Spirit of God came upon David and now has left Saul. And here in this passage, we learn some other things, some of which are um, a bit disturbing about what God will do with us. But I want us to see first who this Saul is in the arc of the story of Samuel and David. He's the once anointed, twice failed, now twice rejected, then decommissioned king who still sits on his throne. And that's what we need to understand. With David announced, this story at this point takes a a turn into at least a decade of time when this twice-rejected, decommissioned, twice-failed king refuses to get off of his throne. He still rules army and court. He white-knuckles onto his dominion. But with this, without understanding who Saul is firmly in our minds, we will miss the wonder and the warning of this passage. This is the fountainhead. He'll be comforted by David's music. He'll soon be saved by David's valor. He'll be threatened by David's popularity. He'll make David his arch enemy. What I want us to see is uh, Saul is repeating a story that began in Genesis. He's been given dominion, misuses it. But unlike Adam and Eve, he won't leave his garden. He won't leave his court. He won't give up his dominion. Saul is like all of us, once anointed sons of Adam and Eve who want our dominion and will not give it up to the true king. And so God's actions are meant to divorce Saul from his throne. As we'll see, they're meant to enforce Saul's acceptance of what really is. The reality that his dominion is invalid. He sits on a throne that may have once been given to him, but no longer is his. Some of you might know that uh, King George III, when he was told that uh, George Washington was going to give up his army, uh, who had, no one had ever done that, by the way, he said, well, if he does that, uh, he'll be the greatest man in the world. You can decide if George was the greatest man in the world, either one of those two, George's. But we know who the greatest man in the world is. And it wasn't Saul. And it's not you. And it's not me. It's this gracious king who will comfort us with his helps, but will only heal us with his crown. So God sends. This is what we must see. We must understand what the world um, that Saul is trying to maintain is so that we can understand that When God sends him a harmful spirit, we have a a grid for that. Now, that's not the kind of thing you want to hear about your God, is it? He's sending harmful spirits. Well, it's even worse. Um, He's sending an evil spirit. That's the Hebrew. He's sending a spirit that will torment. The word is pretty disruptive. It 
indicates that Saul was in a real um, kind of anguish that was probably not just the, the, uh, the sorrow and long face of melancholy, but was perhaps visible in his demeanor, in his body. They could see that he was deeply anxious and really troubled. And God sent this to him. God, God sent to him a messenger that would challenge his claim to a throne that was no longer his. That would challenge his picture of a reality that was no longer valid. Spurgeon said, I would despair to know that I had an affliction the Lord did not send me. And so I hope should you and I. God sent this affliction on Saul as a firm, disturbing, perhaps we could say severe benevolence to reintroduce him to reality as it truly is. We're going to talk about mental illness in a moment. I don't want you to overhear um, what, what is being said here, but, but don't underhear it either. God sends us troubles to lead us back to him. What kindness would it have been of God to let Saul remain in his fantasy world? This pattern is repeated throughout Scripture. Israel rebels after they've been delivered from Egypt and wanders in the desert. They misbehave in the promised land and they're sent into exile. In fact, one king after another makes his throne illegitimate in Israel and is disciplined and rejected for it. And it's not just kings and queens, it's regular folk like you and me. You know, we live in this world that has a moral structure to it that God in his kindness has both given us that we, by his common grace are not as bad as we all could be, but also so that there is a scaffolding by which we can understand how to restore the world to what it really is and not what we're trying to make it. And if you think for a moment that God shows favoritism and that Saul is the only one who gets it, then I will ask you to consider uh, what happened when David sinned with Bathsheba. For when I kept silent, Psalm 32 says, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. It sounds like David knew the torment that Saul knew. So what are you going to do with someone like this? Barry Goldwater was the one who had the unenviable job of going into the Oval Office and telling President Nixon that he needed to resign. That's called the short straw of the Senate. Some of you, look it up if you're younger. <laughs> there was a guy, there's a president named Nixon. You'll have to look it up on Google. But, but anyway, this really happened. But, so, um, but when the story is told, uh, it said that he, when asked, um, gave this old political adage, if you strike the king, you'd better kill him. 
Well, what's so gracious and glorious about our Savior is when he had all these poser kings and princes and queens and princesses and he wanted to get us off of our throne, he did not kill us. He struck us, but he did not kill us. Did God send anything else besides a tormenting spirit? Of course he did. God sends his son. God sends the true anointed one. One of the men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence. The Lord is with him. Do you see what's happening in this passage? They're all asking. Actually, he doesn't know it, but Saul is asking for the true king to come into his court. And when the the poser king needs help, his court, unaware themselves, suggests that the true king come. That's what we need to learn. God has sent us a comforter. You know, Sandy and I, during COVID, we, we finished Netflix, which took a long time. So, so now we're watching some stuff again, and we're watching Downton Abbey, which the second time I'm watching Downton Abbey, you know, it, parts of it seem like it's a little bit of a soap opera, but I don't watch soap operas, so it can't be that. But, but whatever you think, whatever you think of uh, late Victorian and, and early 20th century social order in Britain, okay, and who's upstairs and who's downstairs and all of that stuff and all those things. Um, Be sure of this. The kingship of Christ is not a spiritual metaphor. And he may come to comfort us. Lord Grantham may go down to the servants' quarters. But he's always the king. He's always the king. Because look who has come. They have asked for. God sends his anointing in the person of his anointed. Listen to the character of this Christ who serves us and so patiently has served all of us all week long, all of our lives for these thousands of years and surely did when he was with us. He's a skillful in playing. He, skillful in song. He'll, he'll lead his people in worship. A man of valor, courageous in heart. He will lead his people with conviction, fearlessly. A man of war. He's fit with power to fight our truest battles. He's wise in speech, prudent, we're told. He can lead us with wisdom. He has good presence. I love that phrase. Our Christ, surely when we meet him, but even when he was here, he filled the room. He had whatever that is that distinguishes one person from all the others. He will move our hearts. And God is with him. He'll bring God's favor to us 
This is the one God sent to serve you. And you have enjoyed his service and his kindness. He has comforted you in your distress. He has walked with you when you've wandered. He's fed you and cared for you. He has forgiven you. He has carried you and held you. He's done all of these things. He's given you his songs in the Psalms. He fought death for you bravely and conquered it as a man of war. He told you all things true in the Sermon on the Mount and every other word he spoke and every word that he sent through his apostles. And he is a man of good presence. He is here with us now. He's always with us and dwells here with us. And we have this great comforter who God sent to us as a servant, really in the most bizarre, perhaps, picture of the incarnation, got an offering to us who refused to offer to him. And that's what happens. We're told, not surprisingly, and this is the the trap, perhaps, we're not surprisingly told that Saul really likes this guy. In fact, he loves him greatly. Well, don't you love Jesus greatly too? Of course you do, or I hope you will. But for what? Well, you do love him for his care for you. That is holy and righteous and good. Love him for his care and comfort. Love him that he brought so much with him. Look at the imagery of this, the true anointed one coming from his father. It's not all that subtle. With a donkey full of blessings. This is the the whole picture, not to put too fine a point on it. We can look retroactively and reflectively. This is the whole picture of of Jesus coming to us from the Father with his blessings to provide the great service of our comfort and ultimately our redemption. Him offering his Son. So let's think of a scene. Let's think of a scene that reflects this one where David is playing his lyre for this fallen, pathetic, um, twice rejected, uh, twice failed, decommissioned, recalcitrant royal. And we have this scene where, where David, or excuse me, Jesus, uh, gets up from the table and takes off his garments and, and puts on the garment of a servant. And, and then he washes his disciples' feet. This is after he has set the table for them and, and served them in this fashion that we'll celebrate in a moment. And then he comes back to his table. He's enacted the whole course of, of, of his journey from heaven to earth. He, he has risen from the table. He's taken off his outer garments. He's become like a servant. He's served his people. He's returned to the table. And what do his disciples start to do except argue over which one of them is the greatest? That's what started the whole thing. No one understands what's happening. No one knows what's going to happen. Everyone's going to scatter. One will actually betray him and his hero in the group will deny him. And this is Jesus This is Jesus serving us, and I'm still that way with him. 
And I received that comfort as Saul received that comfort. It was a very vivid picture of the fulfillment in some ways of what David, who would be playing this harp in this room and get uh, spears thrown at him. And we're so thankful that Saul was really not good at spear throwing. But still, there was David. Because this whole scene is set up to know God's comfort in Christ is given to us to make us choose. Saul loved him greatly. He loved to be soothed, but not to be saved. He wanted to be comforted, but he did not want to be commanded. And this is true of uh, every minister I know, all the professional Christians who are my colleagues. We want his comfort, but we also don't want his commands. It's also true of every uh, Christian that I know. We all want to be comforted, but we want to keep our crowns. We want to keep our crowns. I have a, a friend from seminary who came home one day during seminary, and his wife had made a lemon meringue pie. It's not my thing. I'm, I'm, yeah, we'll talk about which pies I want you to make for me later, but, but just don't do that. But, but he comes in, he, he goes, oh, I love lemon meringue pie. And his wife, who uh, is a little mean, said, Kevin, you don't love lemon meringue pie. You love Kevin, and lemon meringue pie pleases Kevin. They're still together, I want you to know. It's a long time ago. They had enough of a relationship for that kind of honesty. But, but you know, what, what could be said to, about me? Do I love worship? Of course I do. Why? For good and bad reasons. Do I love my job? Yes, I love my job. Why? For some reasons I want you to know and other reasons I don't want you to know. Because that's the way we are. But until there is abdication... Until there is abdication, all we want is comfort. Until we submit ourselves to his crown, all we want is comfort. Jesus said it this way when they ran around the lake to get more food. Don't work for food that spoils. Don't work for this bread. Don't want these little things from me. So how are you going to do this? What are you going to... How are you going to um, let... This servant become your sovereign. Well, I know that in the most fundamental ways we have, we hope we have, right? But expanding um, our willingness to relinquish our crown and make sure this servant, who will always be our servant, is also our sovereign, might look like this. First of all, listen to your troubled soul. Listen to what torments you. I told you I'd talk a little bit about mental illness in a moment. This, this passage, nor do the scriptures teach that mental illness is um, always about God sending an evil spirit to you. It has uh, mental illness and the brokenness of our minds, like the brokenness of our bodies and our souls, has uh, an entire matrix, a nexus of causes uh, that are physiological and, and environmental and, and, and need the treatment of 
of medicine and all manner of things. But, but know this too. Um, know that, that our mental illness is not divorced. Our struggles, even if we're, you know, I tell people, I don't know if I'm mentally ill, but I, I have a mental cold. You know, I mean, I, I have something, you know, I like have a mental flu or something. I don't know how ill you want me to be, but I'm broken in my head because we're all broken in our head. And, and like the origin of all of our disease and death and sickness, part of that is because of our dislocation from the king, our desire to be comforted, but not receive um, the sovereign of our servant. So listen to your soul. Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? I have asked that question of my soul. I do not exaggerate thousands of times. Because it's important to understand why. What I've found is that it's, it's not always the first reason. Or the second reason I come to. Or the obvious thing before me. Or it won't truly be solved by more people at my church or, or more money to pay my bills or more whatever or less this or, you know, whatever. It's often because of what I want out of those things. So listen to your troubled soul. Perhaps your troubled soul has a number of uh, roots that need to be addressed with the help that is available to you, but, but it's likely also related to God wanting your attention to to draw you back. What a, what a great kindness that God doesn't let the world work for you. Isn't that a kindness? That God doesn't let a broken world work for us? How terrible would it be? Jesus said it to gain the whole world and forfeit what? So listen to that. And then survey your kingdom. You can survey your kingdom when you ask that question, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Because the things that you're Wrapped up about? Well, that's the part of your kingdom that's under the greatest threat. That's the border that the Russian army is on. If Well, we, you know, that's the thing that, uh, that you want to protect. And understand that. Understand that. Psalm 105 says, Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. I was meditating on that this week, and I realized, as difficult as it is, the point of the passage of that great word in Psalm 105 is that if I seek the, well, put it this way, the degree to which I seek the Lord is a degree to which I can be sure I will rejoice. Now, he knows that I won't just seek him. I'll seek all manner of other things. But, but survey your kingdom and see what you want And then just look at this king that serves you. You look closely at this excellent beloved who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a man. And took on the form of a servant. And served you. He was rich and he became poor. So that he could serve you. 
He was righteous and he became, for all intents and purposes, sinful so he could serve you. He was far away and he came near so he can serve you. There was no task that was too small for him, no wound that was um, too minor, no sin that was too major. And he's done this then also for these last 2,000 years. He's been patient with you. He's provided for you. He's comforted you. He's overlooked so many of our sins. We'll never know how many sins he just gave us a pass on and never made us repent of. Because they're too numerous to count. And he, in a manner of speaking, made your bed and did your laundry and cooked your food and cleaned it up. For your whole life. But then remember too. That you have been given. An opportunity now. To relinquish. Your claim to your throne. In anticipation of the rest of that great passage. From Paul's letter. To the Philippians that I was just alluding to. Because this servant. Remember. This servant. God highly exalted and bestowed on him a name that's above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So God comforts the wayward and the wise among the wayward know that he also conquers them. So give yourself and all of your domain to him. You will have his comfort. And you will also be healed by his crown. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you please to help us see that you right before us, so patient and kind and tender, are filled with majesty. You're wrapped in light, your mighty arm, your blazing eyes. your transforming glory, your infinite and eternal dominion, Lord God, is what will bring us true life and health. Thank you for your humble service. May we serve one another. Loosen our hands, Lord God, that we might give you all that is ours and serve the servant who has served us. Amen.